3: Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I'm your host, Ray Harkins, with you as always to bring another riveting conversation to your earbuds or car speakers or whatever else you listen to this on. Thank you for joining us. The guest this week is Jeff Kazaza, because I didn't ask him how to pronounce his last name. He is the CEO, boss, whatever you'd like to call it, head honcho of Run For Cover Records, a very Awesome and reputable independent record label that is on the rise, is hot, is happening. My schmoozy business guy talk right there. But anyways, more on Jeff in a minute. Here are some items of business and just general observations I'd like to share with you. Visit 100wordspodcast.com. I know I harp on it every week. And for those of you that the cries go ignored please go there. Sign up for the email newsletter that I send out once a week, just summarizing what's been happening and also giving you a sneak peek at the upcoming guests. So just just go ahead and do that. And then you can also donate to the show if you're feeling ever so generous. I pro- I will be pushing something in the month of April. That's the fundraising month. So if you want to get a head start on it, by all means do that. I am I'm living with my parents right now. And some of you may think that's a sad thing, but you know, for those of you that pay attention on a week to week basis my house is just is 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 in disrepair. I'm actually recording it right now at my house and I'm like a week away from being done from all of this remodeling and leak repair and all this other stuff. So I feel like the first 2 months of 2015 have been like 2 years. So much has happened. But at the same time, things go by so slowly. So anyways, for those of you that are, are constantly worried about me, I'm just giving you an update. So maybe another week or so. But something I've learned about staying with my parents again, it, it makes you act old <laughs> in the sense of, you know, I'm like upstairs in bed at like 8 to 8.30, just like reading a book. And in some respects, it's kind of nice to be like that and not be like, all right, I'm playing video games until like midnight or whatever after the kid goes to bed so yeah it's it's kind of nice to you know sort of fall into a nice routine and pattern and then like when i go out to a show my parents are like what you're leaving the house this evening it's like well yeah i i go out at night sometimes um just because my wife and my mom and my stepfather like you know they don't they don't do much at night you know they kind of lock in they're 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 in for the nights so this is what's happening so when i subvert that they're like whoa that's that's weird i can't believe you have that much energy <laughs> it's like all right that's that's kind of funny but that's that's me a new opportunity has been put on my 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 shoulders recently and i'm i'm mulling over the uh, next steps in my life, as it were, from a professional standpoint. Not saying I'm t- like taking any new jobs or anything like that, but it- it's always interesting when that sort of, I wouldn't even call this a fork in the road moment, but just, you know, decisions weigh on you. And you kind of sift through all these pros and cons, and you go all through all these decision making processes that will hopefully lead you to a conclusion. And um, it's just interesting. And honestly, it's exciting in a way because I haven't gone through one of these sort of larger decisions in quite some time. So it feels nice to shake it up a little bit. So if those of you who are going through that right now, uh, I can empathize and I understand what you were going through because we were doing the same thing at the same time. So ultimately, I just I always arrive at the conclusion where it's just like, is this an exciting opportunity? Will this be fun and engaging? And ultimately, will this better me from a financial sort of life decision standpoint? And if you can answer like yes to those three questions, then why wouldn't you do it? You know? So anyways, just wanted to keep you updated on that. And then I also recently uh, did some tracking for a vocal project that uh, at some point in the near future will be debuting. And this is not from one of my old bands uh, rearing its, its, its old head. Um, it's not for Taken. It's for a fun little side project, you know? So I'll reveal that at a later date. But uh, I did that this past week and it was uh, it's really fun because I, I forgot how much fun yelling into a microphone from a studio perspective is. So anyways, let's talk about Jeff. So if run for cover, most of you probably are aware of its existence at this point. And if you're not, then just Google run for cover records and you will be Amazed and surprised at the great roster they've assembled over the past couple of years. And honestly, since its inception, he's made a very distinct pivot over the past couple of years into the more sort of indie rock, you know, more uh, genreless area of the label than he did previously. But Jeff's a good dude. I've known him for quite some time and I've wanted him on the show. And interestingly enough, when I first approached him, he was like, I don't know, man, I don't give a good interview. And we actually talk about that at the very beginning of the show. Um, so I, I I just found it interesting because usually people that I approach that I know are, are usually pretty interested in coming on the show because they, they know that it'll be hopefully a fun time as long as I don't do them a complete injustice. So but yeah, run for cover records, incredible label. They've been doing some amazing things and are just building their own their own thing over there, their own cool small business. And um, yeah, I was excited to talk to Jeff about that. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Jeff, and I will talk to you after. records that was like i don't know what 2008 or something like that but i remember i remember meeting you for the first time at sound and fury in 2009 i think was it 2009 that was the yeah that was the year of oxnard i think right
1: actually it might have been 2008 i don't remember
3: no i think yeah i think it was 2008 because yeah that was the year before i took ownership of the festival the next year (laughs) oh
1: yeah 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 okay wait it was 2008 because that was the summer that the uh the title Flight 7 Inch came out because it came out at Sound and Fury.
3: Exactly, exactly. But it was, I just remember reaching out because it's, it's one of those things I have this, I don't know, this sort of like hardwired radar in myself where it's like I see people that are doing cool things within the context of independent music. And uh, I wouldn't even say like a struggle, but I just see the sometimes the overwhelming nature that tends to envelop people when stuff starts to get real, you know, when it's like, yeah. oh shit, like, I got to do all yeah. this. I, I wanted to specifically start at that point where it was like, you know, considering that most people that start labels obviously never expect it to grow quote unquote fast during that time. Shit was moving pretty quick for you. Was it, was it mentally just like absolutely overwhelming for you to kind of be like, all right, like I'm in school, but at the same time, like all these records are just doing really, really well. Um, was it just, was it more stress than pleasure?
1: Yeah. I think I was doing a lot of things uh, incorrectly and kind of had unrealistic expectations of what, you know, was even possible for one person to be doing. Um, I mean, obviously, I was definitely struggling and that was pretty obvious to see. But I think that I thought that it was possible to be doing a good job of doing everything by myself while being, you know, a full time student, which it obviously wasn't. Um, so I kind of would beat myself up about it and just, you know, I was kind of confused about why things weren't going as well as it seemed like they should. But, you know, I, I eventually figured out it was because what I was attempting to do was not really possible.
3: When you, when you were in times of like beating yourself up, was it one of those things like you were just, you were, you were hard on yourself because you, you felt like you were doing a terrible job at everything or was it specifically certain things that you just felt like you were so falling short on?
1: Um, it, it wasn't really everything, because the music that we were releasing, I, I knew was awesome, and I knew that people cared about it. Um, but I guess it was probably everything else besides that. Right. You know, actually ex- actually executing the <laughs> things the, the way they should have been executed was definitely the issue. Um And, yeah, I just didn't, you know, even if I had someone helping me at the time, I'm not sure it would have really made a difference because I don't think it would have been the right person. You know, I tried to, like, rope friends into getting involved really early on, but, you know, obviously no one had as much emotionally invested in it to actually care enough because it was a lot of work, you know?
3: Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, and I'm sure, too, where it's like you, you always see that with, especially with record labels, where it's like you you bring in your friends who have the same level of experience or less than you. And then it's like the blind leading the blind.
1: It's just like two idiots being like, do we do this or I don't know, (laughs)
3: dude, that's, that's, that's exactly what it was. I mean, honestly, it's like, that's exactly how I'm, you know, what I'm doing with, Chris no sleep where it's like I just saw and like honestly what I was what I was attempting to do but I didn't really have the uh you know the ability to do it at the time for you where it's like I just saw where you were at and I was like Jeff I just want to help you man like I just see yeah. where, I, I just see where you're at and it's like it is that that overwhelming feeling of like you don't know like who to talk to because there's no you know it's like what are you going to do post to ad on Craigslist like independent record label needs help like what? yeah <laughs> and then not like the quality of people that you'd get from that perspective perspective. perspective would be any good so it's like
1: yeah it would be it would be ridiculous
3: right right but so backing up you uh born and raised you were you were born in new hampshire yeah
1: um i was born in massachusetts lived in massachusetts um until i went to high school and then i ended up um going to a boarding school in new hampshire
3: a boarding school in new hampshire
1: that yeah that's was that
3: uh was that because you were a bad kid jeff
1: no no (laughs) whenever people ask i'm uh, the last time someone asked me if I did something to end up going to boarding school, I made up a ridiculous reason as to why I did. <laughs> Accidentally, like killing someone when I was a kid or something, you know? <laughs> right, right. Uh, but no, my town just has a really bad school system. Um, and a bunch of my really close friends were going to the same school. And it's just kind of what my parents wanted me to do. Yeah, I grew up in a weird town. Um, it was a lot of like really old, huge, expensive houses. Uh, really nice town. with like a really nice downtown area, but had like a huge drug problem, a huge heroin problem um, and a really bad school system. And it's just kind of a weird place to grow up. Like I had friends in my town, but then kind of got disconnected from the whole thing pretty quickly.
3: What was the name of the town?
1: Uh, New Report is actually the most like northern town in Massachusetts right before New Hampshire. OK, um, it's right on the water. It's it's a great place to grow up um just kind of kind of a weird vibe.
3: Right, sure. So was it was it one of those things where it was like because like a sort of industry had left, so that's why there was like a, a sort of CD element to it. So there was like old money versus no money there as well?
1: Yeah, I guess that kind of is what it was. Okay. Um a lot of people just never couldn't get out of the town, you know? And I guess I don't know really what causes that. You know, I could probably name three people that I grew up like being close friends with that you know, got out of Newburyport, which is just weird because it's a completely normal town.
3: Right. Yeah. No, that's, that's interesting. That sort of like small town mentality of like, well, I guess after I graduate high school, I'm just going to work at the gas station or whatever, you know?
1: Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah.
3: Um, so what kind of, what was your, uh, what were your parents doing there as far as like, were they working there or what sort of uh, professions did they has have as you were growing up?
1: Um, my dad has worked in Boston, um, since I've been alive, um, just doing uh, investing, you know, playing with other people's money, I guess. Okay. Um, so I became pretty familiar with Boston early on. Um, he would always like wake up at like four in the morning and go to work at like four, He drive to Boston, probably like 45 minutes away. Um, like at four in the morning just to beat the rush hour traffic. That's ridiculous. Uh-huh. Um, so I would sometimes, um, if I didn't have to go to school or whatever was home on vacation or whatever, I would, I would wake up super early and go into Boston with him, uh, and then just go to Newbury comics all day long or go to, you know, borders all day long to the music section and right. just like, hang out, read, read Marilyn Manson's autobiography in one sitting, you know, or, <laughs> or go buy a Converge record in Newbury comics. Right. So right. And I, I started doing that at a very young age and just became pretty familiar with the city and, um, like the hardcore scene in Boston, pretty much from doing that.
3: Right, right. Just by like, by by sheer boredom, but then being like, oh, there's some cool stuff here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and your mom basically just was a housewife taking care of of you. You have do you have a little sister or?
1: I have an older sister. Okay, that's right. Um, but yeah, I mean, more or less. But both of my sister and I um, went away at such an early age. Like, you know, it became. That is what my mom did, but the kids were out of the house pretty early on.
3: Right, right. As you started to, um, you know, kind of whatever, grow up and, and matriculate uh, through, you know, junior high and elementary school and stuff like that, what sort of kid did you find yourself being? Because you, you strike me as a person and uh, this is, you know, just a, a value judgment, but you strike me as a person where it's like, you could kind of, you could kind of insert yourself in most so- social situations and you could kind of get along with everybody. Or did you kind of keep to yourself?
1: I guess a combination of both. Uh, you know, I, I definitely had like a, of a, a varied group of friends and, you know, I was friends with like skaters and I would skate a lot, but also was into like some really nerdy stuff as well. You know, ever since the internet came out, I've been like a Pretty involved heavily with the internet. When, as soon as my family got a computer, I don't think I've gone to sleep, you know, before three a.m. Just because you were the, just the, re- the resources that were available to me,
3: <laughs> right? So, were you, w- w- when you when the advent of the internet came into your life, what were you uh, were you doing? Were you doing chat rooms? Were you doing what was your uh, what was your big thing?
1: I was super into making websites really early on. I, I, my elementary school actually had like an intro to HTML class which I don't really haven't really I've asked some other people if they ever experienced that and no one's really known what I was talking about but um, I definitely was lucky to um, start learning stuff like that pretty early on I was super into like corn and biscuit and stuff like that around like when I was like 12 11 or 12 and uh, I, you know I had like a corn fan page on GeoCDs, and you know I was just like doing whatever I could you know to get myself more interested in music and sure um i guess that's that's how that manifested was in a you know corn fan page on GeoCities. dude that's the, uh, that's
3: where all good things start as far as i'm concerned <laughs> yeah,
1: the, the, yeah uh, I, I remember it i remember it completely blowing my mind that i like made this, i made this corn website and i could go upstairs and access it from a different computer dude. or any computer on the internet i remember that just being like so crazy
4: the show is sponsored by better help
2: at purdueglobal.edu.
1: Dude, yeah, I made something that was on the internet.
3: Absol- absolutely. Like when you, w- once your young brain started to wrap its head around like what you could do, even if it was yeah. like as simple as like, yeah, chatting with someone else where you're just like, wait you're real like you meet yeah. a person oh man that shit's so weird so how, how are so you weird how, how are you exposed to like the sort of early new metal scene was that just sheerly through the radio
1: uh no definitely not the radio i was always like i was always bitter about the fact that the radio didn't play that music Oh, okay oh uh, i guess out in california it's a little more prevalent to have stuff like that on the radio yeah
3: no, it's true because that's definitely because are, are you're in your early 30s or late 20s how
1: old are you uh, well, i actually turned 29 today
3: oh dude Happy birthday! I'm terribly sorry to be hounding you on your. <laughs> <birthday>. <laughs> no, no, I knew, I
1: knew, I knew it was going to be my birthday. It's not a problem.
3: That's, uh, that's funny. Well, happy birthday, Jeff! <laughs> Thank you very
1: much. You,
3: you, we are we are actually making podcast history. I have never podcasted with someone on their birthday. <laughs> that was Jeff when I was, you know, whatever, 12, twelve, thirteen. Uh, that you mean K Rock here in L A. With that, like, they were totally on top of that. But I get that's true. I didn't think about it. Where it's like other radio stations across the country aren't as "quote unquote" cutting edge as as what I experienced.
1: Yeah. And much like I was obsessed with the internet early on, I was also obsessed with the radio. I would just like, you know, everyone did this, but I would sit in front of the radio all day long and just wait for songs to be played so I could tape them and then listen to them over again, you know, and half the time the DJ would be talking over the first 20 seconds of the song, you know, but it didn't matter at all to me. Right. And I would just make make these tapes of all these songs and... I would call into the radio station request corn singles and stuff and I actually don't really remember how how I got into that stuff because you know no parent wants their kid listening to corn or Marilyn Manson when they're 13 right uh, my parents at first probably when I was a little younger than that um, were kind of weird about me listening to you know stuff with, parental advisory stickers on it and whatnot oh but yeah it, it kind of got thrown out the window pretty quickly and i don't think i think they realized it didn't really matter and i wasn't it wasn't gonna have some crazy effect on me if right. i listened to a white zombie cd you know with a pen roll, parental <laughs> advisory sticker on it
3: right right it's that you weren't immediately going to turn into a degenerate
1: yeah 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 uh, um so well i i was i think it was pretty obvious that i was passionate about that stuff early on and um my dad was super cool and took me to see like some so many bands you know that i think back on now and it's just crazy that i even got a chance to see
4: mm-hmm.
1: like i saw i saw pantera and black sabbath and slayer all in the same day
4: oh yeah
3: yeah Dude, so would, I, would your dad? Would your dad actually go with you to the concert, or would he drop yeah, you off? Yeah,
1: I mean, okay. Yeah, he would take. Yeah, I mean, he would rather go. You know, to five concerts than let me go to one by myself. Like that definitely wasn't an option. Nor do, I, nor do I think he was wrong for thinking that,
3: because
1: right. <laughs> you know, a thirteen-year-old Jeff running around Ozfest in nineteen ninety-seven probably wasn't the best idea.
3: No, <laughs> that's amazing. Well, I just, I always love that when I hear that parents are obviously invested in their sort of kids. I mean, not, yeah. only, not only well-being, but just, like, kind of encouraging their taste in some respect and, like, they actually take them to shows. Like, I, I think that's such a – that's a huge thing for parents to want to, like, take on.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, definitely. I mean, my dad got me into music, but he's not – music isn't a huge part of his life by any means. Um, growing up, he just loved, like, Queen and Meatloaf and that stuff, and I got into Queen at a really young age, and it kind of just kept going from there. And because of my dad, I saw, like – smashing pumpkins uh i saw blink 182 on the dude ranch tour classic these are you know, for- crazy these- stuff like def- formative experiences oh yeah the, the first concept i ever went to was the cranberries in like 95 oh,
3: dude you may we may have seen them on the same tour were they, were they touring with toad the wet sprocket
1: um no it okay. was cracker oh okay. <laughs> same e- thing.
3: equally as sick
1: <laughs> yeah i actually saw toad the wet sprocket last summer
2: though so <laughs>
3: Dude, sounds like I mean because my, my dad definitely took me to concerts too. I definitely saw uh, this. This was in like you know ninety two. So at the the complete explosion of to just check out this lineup: Gin Blossoms, Spin Doctors, and Cracker in Las Vegas. Like <laughs>
1: you've seen every one of those right, bands, so dude, that is awesome. Yeah, we
3: are we are one hundred percent products of our alternative generation.
1: <laughs> definitely
3: the which which makes. Absolute sense that Run for Cover is at the forefront the uh, the '90s revolution currently. <laughs> <laughs> so, so when you because uh, I know you've mentioned in previous interviews that you know a, a lot of the introduction to more uh, independent music, for lack of a better term, was definitely through like like you said, skating and like zine culture and stuff like that. When you started to kind of discover that stuff. Did you feel? Did you feel like you were tripping onto a secret in some capacity, where it was like, "Hey, not all my friends are into this."
1: Yeah, you know, it definitely blew my mind. I remember I was skating with my friends from my town, and one of them had a an AFI CD sitting on like the curb next to us, and I was just like, "What's this?" And he's like, "Oh, it's this punk band, AFI." And I went home, and I don't, I guess pretty this must have been like '98, maybe like it was the record was "Shut Your Mouth and Open Your Eyes." um but somehow i went home and listened to them on the internet i don't even know how i could have done that but i did that uh and i was i guess it was like napster or something i guess that existed then Mm -hmm. so i was just like you know it was aggressive music that wasn't you know goofy and weird and gothic you know like the stuff that i was listening to which kind of confused me because i didn't understand why something like afi was labeled as a hardcore band when, you know, I'd listen to it, I'd be like, well, you Slipknot's like way heavier. Way heavier, like, right. Why? <laughs> yeah, why is this hardcore?
3: Dude, like, Whatever. for sure, because it, <laughs> we were so young in that. There's no it, there no genres. It was boundaryless. Yeah. So you were like, why is this labeled this? But this is like, this is for posers, but this is way, yeah, yeah, way yeah. gnarlier.
1: Way heavier. <laughs> yeah, there was a, at my local CD store, which I was super lucky to have, a record store within walking distance. Didn't have like the most incredible selection of what I was into. But they had like a punk hardcore section, mm-hmm. and the dude who ran it ran the store. Um, well, his father owned it, but he was usually the one working there. Um, turned me on to a lot of stuff. Like I, I think the first hardcore record I have got um, was Blood for Blood record on his recommendation. Nice. And that that kind of blew my. They're still one of my favorite hardcore bands but that definitely blew my mind as a young kid and i think i think it's stuff like that that kind of made me understand like what hardcore was but i remember getting like an in my eyes record and being like how is this hard like called hardcore i don't understand it's like not heavy in any way <laughs>
3: right 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 especially from what you were coming from it's yeah it, it's funny too because a lot of your experiences like the way that you're describing your levels of obsession are very uh, i think are very indicative of like an only child experience like and, but it's funny because you're – so how, how much older is your sister than you are?
1: Um, she's two years older. Uh, we look nothing alike and could not be more different than we are. Okay.
3: So you, you guys were kind of both on your own pattern, so to speak?
1: Yeah, definitely. She, she is like a, pretty much a genius. She went to the, the number one high school in America and then ended up going to Northwestern and just like was killing the school game the whole time and I was just kind of doing everything else that wasn't that <laughs>
3: right <laughs> so we, when you when you went away to boarding school like did you uh, care about school or was it just like oh dude I'm here this sucks I'm just gonna put my head down and get through it
1: um, High school was actually amazing um, not I it, the school was kind of geared towards People who weren't incredible at school, it wasn't like they didn't, I wasn't in like special education programs or anything, although they did have that. But it had like the beginnings of like a sort of an alternative school, you know, but it, it didn't go too far in that direction. Like our headmaster was gay, which, you know, is was kind of indicative of, of how that's how the school operated um, you know, it was very open-minded. There was a snowboarding team, you know, you could, you could help cut wood to, you know, help heat the dorms if you wanted to. Um, it was a pretty different high school experience. Um, and I actually had a great time.
3: Were you, were, did you dedicate yourself to kind of the academics side of things or were you more interested in the social stuff?
1: Not, not the (laughs) academic side. Um, I didn't completely blow it. I kind of was just like a you know, a C plus student the whole time. And then, uh, towards the end of my high school career, I kind of got my shit together and it was just like, you know, I'm going to see if I can get on honor roll just to see if I can do it once, you know? Mm -hmm. And I did and it didn't really matter. And I kind of forgot about it immediately after graduating. Right. Um, but yeah, it was more kind of, you know, I had friends obviously and, and, and did like extracurricular stuff, but I was kind of really into my own stuff that, You know, I had friends who also listened to punk and hardcore and whatnot, but I was like really, really into it, Um, and that kind of ran my life, even in the middle of nowhere in New Hampshire.
3: And so, usually, the the notion of people, you know, either starting or running record labels, um, is because they themselves, like, obviously, either can't play in a band or they don't have any sort of musical talent. But I did. Did you ever try to play in bands or played in a band?
1: Um, uh, I messed around with friends in high school, but. Not really, which is weird because, you know, I I do play guitar and I'm all right at it. Definitely not amazing by any means, but... I don't know if I've not really decided if I think I'm actually capable of playing guitar in a band or not but I plan on figuring it out eventually.
3: I <laughs> that's I think that's so funny because like the ability is usually never put into question when you're obviously, you know, younger because you're just like uh, by the sheer fact that like if you own a guitar, you're a guitarist and like you can probably play in a terrible punk band. Um Yeah. But so so you, so technically you've have you ever played a show?
1: Um yes. Okay. Yeah, I would say that I've done that like once. Okay.
0: <laughs> sure.
1: Oh, I also I guess I I completely blocked this out of my mind, but I was in a band when I was in college in Boston. Okay. Um I sang in a hardcore band that never really came to fruition. Um, but we put a lot of effort into it, and recorded a demo that just didn't end up being what we thought was good enough to do anything with. Okay. But it was members of it was members of Guns Up and Half Heart, which it was obviously cool, really cool, eight years ago.
3: Right, right. <laughs> and so, uh, what college did you go to?
1: Suffolk University. It's like right in the middle of downtown Boston.
3: Okay. Um. And was that? Uh, was that? because you were excited to do that or were you kind of just like you know buying more time to sort of figure out what you wanted to do with your life
1: well i definitely didn't know what i wanted to do with my life or that the record label that i already started was you know an option i get i def, i guess college just seemed like the next thing to do and my parents really wanted me to do it um and they knew i wasn't going to do it on my own without them pushing me to do it which i i mean i guess i might have tried but the fact that I graduated is a a complete miracle. And I think my parents like still don't even believe it It probably happened, but it did.
3: Right. Right. No, I, that, that was something I was going to bring up later where it was like, you seemed dedicated to that fact that you were going to finish that finish college, even in the midst of all the chaos that you were going through as run for cover was growing. Uh, was that, was that in due to the fact that you were just like, I, I'm going to do this for my parents because I started this or because you, I'm sure there was opportunities for you to just kind of bail out and focus on the label.
1: Oh yeah, like I, I I think I failed out more than once. I know I did once, but they were just like, "Yeah, your grades aren't high enough for us to like keep you here." Like, let us know if you have a rebuttal. <laughs> and I, you know, I had to, so I had to like meet with the, like the, the head of the school and be like, "Yeah, I want to do this. Like, let me do it. Wow, I'll, I'll try to graduate." And I think that happened maybe twice, but after seven years, that's how long it took me because I eventually had to start going part time because. I was just, you know, going crazy.
3: Sure, sure. Um, and what what degree did you end up getting as you graduated college?
1: Um, I got a degree in advertising and marketing. Okay. Um, and whenever I tell someone that, they're like, "Oh, so you like learned a lot of stuff that you could apply to your business?" No, I didn't at all. I no. really didn't learn anything. <laughs> if, yeah. If anything, I already knew the stuff we were learning, and we'd have like advertising projects, and like I would know how to, you know, design an ad. I knew how to use Photoshop. And I would make something that actually looked like a real ad, and people would just be like, "Who are you? Like, get out of this class!" I was was like, "Gladly, I will leave. I don't need to be here."
3: Right, right. Well, it's it it is funny because, especially uh, with the you know at the time, you didn't even know the sort of do-it-yourself nature of you know building corn websites like that. Action in and of itself is completely applicable to later in life where you were just like yeah I know how to put this together and then people are like what like well you could have been doing yeah. you could have been doing this when you were 11 or 12 but you were busy like I don't know like having friends or hanging out but you're like no yeah. I I'm, <laughs> I'm busy doing this yeah the something that I I you know I know that you struggled with that a lot of people Kind of tagged run for cover, especially at the beginning, like you mentioned, and you make no bones about how you didn't know you were doing. But everyone was like, Oh man, Jeff from run for cover, kind of a dick, didn't send me my mail order. Like that was a rep that existed for a long time, mostly from the fact that it was like, because you were so overwhelmed. Um, and so I, I, I'm not saying that about you currently, but yeah, yeah. the uh, was it one of those things like that was you know a, a thing that you were beating yourself up with because of all of those sort of uh, external voices coming at you where it's like oh yeah don't don't order from Run for Cover because you won't get an order
1: yeah no that was definitely the worst and obviously I knew that it was an issue you know it was just like it seemed it seemed impossible to actually wrap my head around everything you know it's not like. It's not like you can just be like, you know, screw it, like I'm done with this. I'm done with this tomorrow. Like you you still owe all those people, you know, what they've ordered and <clears> you still have to deal with it all. There's no out. So it was it was really frustrating. I remember some thread on the bridge nine message board being like, Oh, I didn't get my order from this, from this record label, whatever, and all these people saying shit. And my friend like instant messaged me about it. And I just remember being like dude, like, do you think I can, like, come back from this? Like, do you think that, that I can actually save this and, like, save this reputation of this record label? And he's like, dude, totally, like, no problem. Just, you know, just, like, do the best you can and do it. And, you know, make give no nobody any reason to say something bad about you. And I was just like
5: It,
3: unfortunately, by transitive property, people that say that they don't receive their order, or whatever, and because you are the only person that's doing it, like I said, by transitive property, they're like Jeff is the worst person in the world. Like, yeah,
1: yeah, totally. Wh- Which is fine. That's totally fair. Right. <laughs> <laughs> not maybe not the worst person in the world, but you know, I I ripped them off. It was me. Not not that I actually rip people off, but it was me. Personally, that was pissing people off. The blame can't be placed anywhere else.
3: Right, right, right. And so that, um, you know, that that's like that's hard when you were at the level that you were at, where it's like you still were getting your sea legs. Was it was it difficult for that criticism to kind of uh, you know sit in your head? And did you get uh, you know? I mean, I I know that you were you were you were having a difficult time, obviously adjusting with it. But did you uh, or did you just not have time to like be depressed about it and mope
1: about it? No, it it definitely bummed me out. I, I don't think I really like. Talked about it a lot, but it definitely was the number one most stressful thing for me.
3: And as you as you were doing this in conjunction with with college, and your parents were kind of seeing, I'm sure your parents were noticing the you know emotional and physical toll. Uh, were they just like Jeff? Stop this dumb record label. Like, wh- wh- <laughs> what, what were they saying to you as this was happening?
1: Definitely not that. Never anything negative. I mean, I, I wouldn't have started the label without them. They were crazy enough to give me a thousand dollar loan to put out a seven inch mm-hmm. uh, which is still crazy to me like why would you do that why would you give a 15 year old kid a thousand dollars to start a business but right. they have not they've never been anything but supportive I don't think that they really thought there was a lot of potential for this for it to end up you know as my career obviously especially in the beginning before it happened but as it went on and you know we kept not losing our ass on records we were putting out I th- that they they kind of got that you know i had a knack for something i don't i don't think they really totally grasped um the negative stuff that was going on or not they didn't grasp i don't think they were totally aware of it talking about about it and just be like oh you know like i'm kind of blowing it like all these people are mad and he would, he would kind of just brush it off and be like don't worry about it you know that's like what running a business is like or something but i was in my head i'd be like no i'm actually totally fucking it up <laughs>
3: Yeah, <laughs> right. You're like, dad, you don't understand this. Yeah. I have 150 <laughs> pre-orders and they're not leaving my house.
1: Dad, don't you read the bridge nine board? <laughs>
3: yeah, exactly. You're like, the the world is falling down right now. Did you ever uh, did you ever experience like sort of like face to face criticism? Like where kids coming up to you at shows and be like, "Yo, that that's fucking Jeff, man. Like, let's <laughs> let's run him out of the uh, out of town or anything like that.
1: Definitely, definitely was a, a fear of mine, um, only because I'm definitely not confrontational in any way. That ha- would happen, you know, probably happened like three times total, and I would just be really nice and, you know, fix their issue immediately or, you know, give them the money back. Or if it was like at yeah, something like Sound and Fury and we were selling stuff, you know, I would just like give them what they ordered then or, you know, give them a free shirt or something. Right. Um, I think once people met me, they kind of realized, like, oh, this dude's like completely normal. He's just has, he's just not great at what he's doing currently. Right.
3: right. (laughs) Well, and yeah, I I don't mean to belabor that point, but I just think it's such a, you know, the internet is devoid of context. And I think a lot of people that look at Run for Cover now are like, oh my gosh, like, dude, I mean, you guys are like, just knocking it out of the park and you're killing it and whatever. And it's like, there's a lot of struggle that defines how you've gotten to where you're at. And I, I think, some of that is, you know, for lack of a better term, just like brushed off because it's only a minor part of your of your story. But I think that's what, like, you know, that that's why I am obviously bringing it up on more than one occasion because it's just a, um, it, you know, it's, I think it's a really important footnote to realize that, uh, you know, you're most people suck at what they do when they first start it.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. How could you not?
3: Right. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And so then, uh, was it, was it this huge weight that was lifted off your shoulder once you got out of college and you could, you know, sort of concentrate on the label from a full-time perspective?
1: Yeah. Like more so than I could even put into words. The fact that I like got my degree, it was just like, I, I couldn't even believe that I graduated. It's like, I literally never have to worry about school again. It just didn't seem like a realistic thing.
3: Right. Like the same, the, the, the world, I guess has opened up.
1: Yeah. And everyone else that I graduated with. Not, I mean, not, I had, literally didn't know anyone in my classes or in my college. I just, you know, I showed up sometimes I'd show up and then I would just go straight home. You know, everyone was just like, yeah, we're graduating. But like, what what do we do now? And I was like, ha ha. Like, that's where I got you. I already know what I'm doing. It might have taken me seven years to graduate, but I have a job the fucking day I graduate.
3: <laughs> right? Yeah, I've got there's literally no choice for me to go. But here. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I think something an important point I always bring up too in regards to people uh, such as that are in the position of yourself, where you know now that obviously run for cover you know has as people working for you and you obviously have to take you know for lack of a better term a more boss like role um, that 's something that I presume that you don 't either identify with or it 's something that you 're still learning how to like do and be. Uh, because no one like, you know, no one starts something and is like, dude, I can't wait to be a boss. Like, I can't wait to, I can't wait to supervise people. Um, so how do you, how do you feel like that is, is going with you in your own head? And then obviously from a practical standpoint as well.
1: Um, I definitely don't identify with that role whatsoever or feel like I even need to, you know, act like a boss in any way. Um, you know, with Tom coming on, who, you know, obviously, I guess that was 2011 when we hired him and he was, Besides, like, having people help out with mail order, I was, like, the first employee. Um, He is, like, pretty much responsible for the company, like, still existing now. Um, And he currently, you know, however many years later, um, handles so much of, like, the day-to-day stuff. But, yeah, being a boss isn't really a part of my role you know, it's more so like pushing the company into the direction that I think it should go in, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, it's rare that I even need to be telling people what to do. Like, people understand their roles, and it's a pretty clear-cut path. You know, sometimes people will be like, hey, like, we finished these projects, like, do you got anything to do? And then like, you know, that's really it. Like, it's kind of a... A well-oiled machine at this point Mm -hmm.
3: yeah and did you uh you know as you started to bring people on you know from tom and obviously alex and other people that you have now i'm sure you do obviously feel the the sort of pressure and weight that it is of people looking to you for you know a livelihood as it were
1: um yeah i mean it's it's so different than what it was like before it's kind of crazy to think back to when everything, you know, was on my shoulders. And now it's just like, it's relatively like stress-free, which is awesome. And, you know, I feel uh, so lucky to be in, you know, a situation where my job doesn't put stress on me or, you know, bum me out all the time. Mm -hmm. I I think obviously that's a rare thing to have. Uh, And I'm just super grateful that I'm in that situation because, if I was not I don't know what situation I would be in.
3: Right, right. Yeah, I mean that that's a, you know, that poses an interesting questions. So like obviously if you didn't if the label didn't exist or the label existed on a much smaller level, do you think you would kind of ju- would you want to jump in like the record label world or would you, you know, kind of stick to sort of advertising marketing sort of thing?
1: I really don't know. I all I can you know, the only conclusion I can come to is that I would probably end up doing something involved with computers, you know, whether it's like coding or you know something along those lines. Like I'm by no means like close to being a professional in any of that stuff, but if I hadn't put, you know, 5 million hours into starting a record label in the last 10 years, um obviously would have had the time to get pretty proficient at it. Right.
3: <laughs> yeah, no for sure. And so, you know, kind of where Run for Cover has existed, obviously, since you've had a staff and you yourself have been able to focus more on the sort of larger vision of Run for Cover and where you want to take it. You, you, you guys have definitely made some statements and definitive steps um, kind of, you know, away from obviously the bedrock or foundation of what Run for Cover uh, was back in the day, because obviously that's what most labels do, because, you know, you can't just release, you know, a hardcore band seven inch forever and ever and ever. I I, pre- I presume that that was obviously a, a vision that you, you know, really believed in where it's like, okay, we don't want to be just defined as sort of, uh, you know, hey, we're just a hardcore label or we're a pop punk label or whatever. Um, I, pr- I presume that was obviously very deliberate
4: on your part.
1: Yeah. I mean, more so in the last like years, I would say, you know, this is obviously something that like we get asked a lot and uh, the w- best way that I can explain, you know, why and how we've changed is just like when we started, I was, you know, 11 years younger than I am now. And as I've gotten older, the stuff, the music that I'm interested in listening to and also releasing, you know, has changed while I've grown up. Um, but I think the people that were, are in tune to the label early on, you know, have also obviously grown up at the same rate that I have. Um, and if, I think that there's people who, you know, have stayed interested in the label despite it changing so much because they've like grown up with it changing, you know,
3: culturally speaking, I definitely feel like there, there's far less, um, uh, feedback from people being like, Oh dude, whatever, run for cover. Like, yeah, you just trying to cash in on the movement or whatever, like, you know, whatever those, yeah. those cheesy uh, disparaging remarks that can be made when, when criticism first started to be thrown your direction like that, was it just like a minor <laughs> blip from obviously what you experienced at the beginning where it was like, Oh, I, I don't know what I'm doing.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think that stuff is funny because, you know, you could make any statement like that and I, I could prove it wrong. You know, <laughs> like people like would talk, you know, talk about like genre hopping or like, you know perpetuating like silly genres like 90s revival or new giz or whatever but <laughs> you know the yeah the stuff that when we you know when the, we were putting out records for the Wonder Years of Man Overboard and Title Fight and Transit like those bands weren't popular when we when we started working with them we didn't make them popular i, I knew they were all going to be popular anyway but you know we started working with them that whole scene of bands got really popular and then it was just kind of like you know like well we did that like let's do something else now like that's how i, I thought of it, it as just, just like well we kind of just like conquered the the east coast like melodic punk scene you know like what what's the point of still doing that
3: yeah that that's a really i think that's kind of a very important point especially for record labels of the size of you know cuz obviously whatever run for cover no sleep top shelf like all of our labels get mentioned in the same sentence. You know, tiny engines can also be thrown in that loop. Um, but I think yes. I think each label has their own um their the same sort of principle that you talk about applies to every single label where it's like obviously there is, you know, there's a, a predilection for labels to be like, okay, this was successful, so let's sign for their bands like it. But that's yeah, to me that's like what obviously major labels chase after rather than labels of all that size, because it's like, you know, that's only sort of sustainable rather than the idea of being like, Oh yeah, I think we put out what I feel is the best representation of this music at this current (laughs) juncture. And so let's move on from that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think, I I think we kind of were very deliberate about it, um, which is kind of weird Um, because we kind of just like stopped doing that stuff pretty quickly. Um, but yeah, there hasn't been like any crazy backlash about us, like putting out different styles of music. You know, it's a pretty, a pretty strange thing to complain about, but it definitely has happened.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Of course, of course there's the internet.
1: (laughs) Yeah, there sure is.
3: (laughs) I just want to hit on two more things where, uh, you know, one of them is, is, is the fact that you obviously, um, another deliberate, um, well, I wouldn't even say change, but a focus of your label is getting to know each of the individual people that sort of make up the label from a staff perspective. Um, and less about you because you're, uh, you definitely take more of a backseat role from that perspective. Um, yeah. but I presume this was just something that you and Alex kind of put your heads together and just like, Hey, like this would be, um, uh, you know, I guess engaging or endearing for people to know you know, who it is that works at this label and packs their orders and kind of makes things tick?
1: I mean, yeah, that wasn't actually a deliberate thing. And I've never even really thought about that to that extent, um, you know, with like our staff specifically. But that obviously is the point of all of our, you know, video content and stuff is just to engage people and, and give them something, you know, pass the time and, and be entertained with. Um, but yeah, you know, now that I think about it, I guess it is funny to like that Tay is the person that packs people's orders, you know, and uh, people obviously like, like seeing the people that work at a record label, I guess, which, you know, it doesn't seem that interesting to me because it's just these people that I see every day. Right. But I guess, you know, from other people's perspective, I, you don't really see that stuff a lot. I guess I can't really think of, I mean, I don't know why, I don't even know why you would think to do it. It wasn't. Even a goal of ours, you know, but obviously it's something that people are interested in. And I guess it, it does make sense to be curious about, you know, behind the scenes of a, a company that. You, you're interested in. Yeah.
3: Because I, I think, I mean, speaking just from my own perspective, what I enjoy about it is just the fact that it's like it, um, it invests people more in what you're doing. Like the more people get to know, obviously, you and everybody else that comprises Run for Cover, it's, it's, it, they're invested more in the label as a whole because it's not just like this, you know, sort of weird, faceless identity. You know, it's like, wh- yeah. why do you think people pay attention to Deathwish? Obviously, they release great music, but initially it's because, oh, it's Jake from Converge's label. Like, of course, like, yeah. there's, there's those immediate sort of leg ups and advantages. But then it's like, if you're able to sort of develop that, that genuine connection, which is obviously what you guys have done, where it's like, there's people that probably hate run for cover. They're like, yo, dude, Tuesdays with Tay is like the best.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Or, or people who don't even know that it's a record label <laughs> that produces Tuesdays with Tay.
3: <laughs> Yeah, Yeah, exactly uh the the last thing i want to hit on was the fact like like we joked about before we were recording where you were uh saying that you know you you typically don't uh hop at the opportunity to do interviews um is it one of those things that's just because you feel like it obviously is a large time investment and you want to present yourself appropriately or is it one of those things you're just like yo, they're they're super awkward
1: um I I guess like a combination of the two. I'm a lot better at r- like writing than speaking in general. And, you know, you haven't done this at all in this interview, but sometimes I'll do interviews over the phone where I, I just like don't even really understand what they're asking, you know? <laughs> so yeah. I have no idea how to answer the question or, you know, just questions that don't even have answers like we talked about before. It's, that's just happened, you know, it just makes me feel weird. And then I'll hang up and be like, man, I sounded like an idiot during that. Yeah. And, or you know, I've been like misquoted to just like, or maybe not even misquoted. It might have even been stuff I said that just didn't make any sense. Right. You know, that's been printed in you know alternative press, and I'll just like look at it and be like, what was I talking about? Like, it makes me it makes me want to email the person that that interviewed me and be like, hey, can you like send me this whole transcript so I can just edit it for you so I can say what I want to right. say and not sound like a bumbling fool all the whole time. Right. Well,
3: it, there's also something that obviously the internet and print has the. Unability to do it's sometimes it's providing context where it's like if you have to edit for if you have to edit for length uh, that's rough because sometimes you'll get a a, a rad pull quote where you know jeff says oh we hate warp tour it's like whoa i didn't say that (laughs) i said we hated that one day we went to warp tour because it was hot like
1: (laughs) you know yeah (laughs) except i probably did say that so
3: (laughs) no exactly you know kind of a tangential question to that is that you you know you yourself are are uh from what I would define, you're a more private person. Like, you know, you, you obviously, you know, exist in social media and you obviously communicate and, you know, show bits and pieces of your life, but there's definitely people that take more of an active role with that where, um, you know, you just from my perspective, uh, are, are less apt to share that. Is there, is there truth in that? Or is, do you kind of like, are there intentional things that you kind of like, yeah, I want to, I want to keep this away from sort of the the label spotlight as it were.
1: Um, it's, it's not like that, um so much i think you know i used to be involved with like the video stuff a lot more and i I think alex kind of just silently came to the conclusion that i i kind of feel weird about it you know just (laughs) talking on camera and you know it just kind of makes me uncomfortable not in a way that i wouldn't do it it's just like everyone else is totally cool with it so it's way better when everyone else is involved with it than when i am you know um, I think in general, I'm, I'm a little reserved. I'm not super outgoing, but you know, not reserved in a way that makes things weird. It's just, I don't love attention or like, you know, having the spotlight on me, I would say not for some, yeah, not for some crazy, like insecure reasons. You know, I just, I, I'd rather not get attention than get attention. Right. I think. Yeah.
3: You'd rather not be the guy that shows up to the party. That's like, Hey, Jeff's here. It's like,
1: Oh, Hey, there, yeah. hey there's Jeff. Yeah. Yeah.
3: <laughs> No, I understand what you're saying.
1: I'd rather just not go to the party, probably.
3: (laughs) You'd rather not go to the party and create another corn fan site.
1: Yeah. Actually, I probably am more likely to be doing that than being at a party.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I don't think there's any better way of ending it like that. Well, go have a good birthday, and thank you so much, Jeff. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks so much, Ralph. So that was Jeff, and that is what is in his head. I was really happy to have that conversation because... It's funny. Sometimes the label owner episodes don't generally do as well. Like, I don't know if people are just less interested in what a person is like that is putting out records. I don't know. But I hope that this one gets some attention and traction and people decide to share this episode because I just think it's... I mean, dude, you're buying music from a label and you become kind of invested in their business. Like, wouldn't you want to know the person who's kind of behind that in a way? So anyways... Thank you to Jeff. I really appreciate him taking the time out of his day on his birthday, nonetheless. So that's when we recorded it, and I felt I felt bad. <laughs> it's like, oh, Jeff, don't you want to be spending time with someone else on your birthday? But he was more than willing to hang out with me for around an hour on that day. The producer, as always, is Tom Richfield. Visit 100wordspodcast.com. And next week, I'll bring you another great episode, but prepare for April. Just batten down the hatches. I'm going to try to set the internet on fire with all the guests. I mean, I won't actually set the internet on fire because that's, you know, the show is not at that level, but I have some great guests lined up for April and beyond. There's so many fun things coming our way as a collective show slash family. So thank you for joining me on this ride till next week. Be safe, everybody.